Hello again, and welcome back to Are They Out There? I'm Barry, your host for today. And I say that because I have a special announcement to make. And that is that Stuart McKenzie from Gold Rush will be joining me in future podcasts as part of the Are They Out There team. Uh, Stuart brings some knowledge and enthusiasm for sure, like myself, about the paranormal and Bigfoot and um, the uh, UFOs and everything out there that we're looking into. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is uh, recently I had a former shipmate of mine uh, reach out to me and uh, give me some information on a family member and a, I guess we'll say mummy for now. Uh, until I get to look into a lot of things that has disappeared over the years, that's worth a lot of money. Um, and that shipmate is Mr. Stephen Pfeiffer. And um, I served with him on a Coast Guard cutter named Bib in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Um, just a little shout out to the Coast Guard. Um, love my service, love the men that I served with and the women. And uh, all I can say is that is probably one of the best seagoing services you can ever have. And I know I'll get a little backlash from my Navy friends and such, but, you know, the Coast Guard is a great, great service. And that's actually where I had one of my first uh, UFO experiences. But today's episode is about the paranormal. And I'd like to share with you a few things that have happened to me and led me to where I am today about the paranormal. And um, as we go into this, um, I will tell you that I've had some uh, different experiences. I used to have a uh, website that was called the Salt Lake Ghosts and Hauntings Research Society, Salt Lake City. Um, so I, I've done a few investigations. Um, I've always been um, skeptical about the paranormal. And when I do investigations, I always go in skeptical. I don't go in believing, oh, my God, this is going to happen. There are a lot of people that like when they go to a place that they said is haunted, you know, the first things out of their mouth are, oh my God, I believe, oh, I can feel the energy. I feel they're already expecting things. I'm not that way. If it happens, it happens. And if I can capture it, I capture it. If I can't explain it, well, then I leave it up to you and those who follow me and those who do investigations with me to come to your own conclusion on it. And speaking of conclusions, I told you on the last podcast that I had sent some film off to a university and I have sent that to a zoology department at Weber State University and I got some response back on the film. What they said was, is they cannot identify any animals. They did not go any further than that. I didn't really expect them to come back and say, hey, you've got a Bigfoot or you don't have a Bigfoot or anything like that. They just said the professors up there studied the film for about a week and said that they could not identify any animals. Now, the person who gave me the film, I have expressed to them that I will be very upfront, transparent, and only give them the facts of what I get back from the people at these different universities that I've given the film to, to analyze and let us know what they see or what they don't see. And that person has agreed with me and understands um, that this is what 
um, will be happening and it'll just be the truth. And, and I'm glad that they share that the truth is the best thing to come out, uh, no matter how bad we want it or don't want it um, to be, but that's how it will be is just the truth of what I get from it. Now, I am going up to the Idaho State University to meet with Professor uh, Jeff Meldrum up there. Um, he is what he classifies himself as foremost expert on Bigfoot uh, footprints, um, things of that nature. So we're going to go up there and let him take a look at the film, uh, get his opinions, his, I guess, professional opinion, um, and possibly let their zoology department take a look at it as well and see if they can identify anything on the film. So there's your updates. Um, I hope uh, this uh, keeps your interest, that you like what I'm doing. Um, if you do, or even if you don't, email me, let me know. And that will be, again, are they out there? The number one at gmail.com. Are they out there one at gmail.com? Um, tell me your stories, what you want me to look into, and I will definitely do my best to do that. So here we go. Back when I had just gotten out of the Coast Guard, my grandfather was dying from Alzheimer's. Um, my grandfather was an awesome man, loved him, um, smoked cigars, told funny stories. Uh, I used to piss my grandmother off like no other man around, but loved him and miss him dearly. When he passed, I was at my sister's house. And before we had known he passed, I smelt this strong smell of flowers, like just a combination of all these different flowers all wrapped into one. And it was so strong. And I smelt this smell. And then the phone rings. And I looked at my sister and I said, grandpa died. And she was like, what? And she picked up the phone and it was my mother. And my mother was letting us know that my grandfather had just passed. And when my sister got off the phone, she looked at me and was like, how did you know? I, I don't know. That smell of flowers for some reason made me think and know that my grandfather had passed. Now, after he passed for the first couple years, every now and then I, I could be driving. I could be someplace uh, uh, dead of winter when there's no flowers growing. I would smell this bouquet and I felt like my grandfather was with me. There's also been times where I would smell cigar smoke and he used to smoke these um, little cigars. I, I forget what they call them. They had like a plastic filter on the end of them. Um, and I could, I could smell these. And again, I would always think it was my grandfather. Hasn't happened as of late. It's, I think maybe the last time it happened was about a year and a half ago. But in that time frame, my father passed away. And after he passed away, I started smelling cigarette smoke really bad. And, and my my father was a chain smoker uh, before he had to quit cold turkey with a lung disorder uh, from the Air Force. And I mean, the, to give you a picture of my dad and the chain smoking is when you see these photos from the late 60s, early 70s of the guys that are in their jeans and T-shirts and they have the cigarette rolled up in their, in their sleeve and their short sleeve T-shirt, that was my dad you would never see him unless he was in his uniform for work without that, that pack of cools rolled up in there. Um, so I, I, I and it, the smoke would only, you could only smell it in the master bedroom. And for some reason I was the only one for a, the longest time to be able to smell it. And, and it made me mad to the point where I would yell out loud. You cannot smoke in my house. You can stay, but you can't smoke. 
and the smell would disappear. Months later, it would come back, and it was kind of like, I don't know if it was a game to them or whatever it was, but I, I would go through this cycle. So as, as the years went by and, and, I, and I got older and started questioning, well, you know, I smell these flowers. I mean, I want to look into this whole ghost thing and, and find out, is this a way that my grandfather is communicating with me? And I started researching it on the web. And this is back in the day when it was AOL was really your only uh, place to go to. You had to plug into your phone. You had to dial up. I, I mean, it was as slow as slow can be back then. Um, but um, a, a group from Canada uh, got a hold of me. And they had their own research society going on up there. And they were very interested in how I was asking these questions and not coming out and telling them I'm having paranormal experiences, but asking the questions, could it be, could you help me, um, guide me, I guess, in a sense as to what they thought might be going on. And they're the ones that helped me set up the uh, Salt Lake uh, Ghost and Hauntings Research Society down here. Um, so uh, from that point, they kind of gave me the basics of how I would do investigations and how I could start to answer my own questions, really, and how I would go into things um, when I would do investigations. And some of the investigations I would do, um, I could explain things um, from vents to whatever to I couldn't explain it. And to this day, I can't explain it. Um, and I'll give you one, one of the stories of how I explained something. We had a, a young couple that was going through a divorce and the parents got a hold of me and they were like, look, uh, our daughter is afraid. There seems to be activity happening in this um, trailer home that she lived in. Um, she's scared. She's now thinking not to get the divorce because she doesn't want her husband to be gone. Um, these sort of things. So we said, okay, uh, a friend of mine that was, uh, doing his own ghost investigations, we would get together all the time and do investigations together. And, uh, we went out to this trailer home and it was an older one. And she told us all the noises she was hearing. Uh, one of the big things that was happening in the house, it, is, it seems that, um, knives or fork spoons, th this sort of thing was being thrown around in the kitchen. So that night when we went in, while the family was busy with my friend, I asked them to keep it, them busy. I kind of did a walkthrough, but what I did was, is I set up a camera in the kitchen. No one had known I had done that. And that'll come into play here in just a little bit. So that night, they're telling us about all these noises. Well, we started hearing some of the noises. And uh, some of the noises we heard, like coming from the bathroom area and stuff, was the water heater. Now, in this mobile home, the water heater, you had to access it from the outside. Very, very old water heater. Uh, here in Utah, we have hard water like no other. And hard water builds up in uh, the water heaters, and they start to pop and crackle and that. And, and so... We showed them where this noise was coming from. And as you hear it from the outside and it's muffled through the insulation of the wall, definitely gave a different sound, but we explained it. The scratching that she was hearing uh, throughout some of the nights or just every now and then actually just happened to be a branch that was barely touching the top of the trailer. And when the wind would blow, small gusts, depending on how hard the wind was blowing, it would move back and forth and, and, and make these scratching noises that she was hearing. Now, not to get too long into this, we, we had explained 
every noise that was happening. And her parents were there, and her parents were very glad that we were able to show her that so far nothing paranormal. So we all decided to go into the kitchen, and we're all standing in there, and and she's explaining to us, and the soon-to-be ex-husband was explaining to us that this was the worst part. It would freak him out. Like They left a knife or silverware. It would always end up on the floor or thrown across the room or whatever. So I, I had reached into the bag and pulled a screwdriver out and I set it on the kitchen table. And I said, well, let's, let's see what happens here. And as we all walked out, the soon to be ex-husband was the last person in a line of people coming out of the kitchen. And of course we hear a noise and everybody gasped and we went back in there and here's my screwdriver laying on the floor. And they were like, see, see, this happens all the time. Well, I told them, I says, well, let's find out what it is. And they were like, how are you going to do that? And I pulled the camera and I thought the soon to be ex-husband was going to drop a load in his pants right there because he had no idea that there was a camera in there. And when we hooked that camera up and we played that film back that showed he grabbed the screwdriver and as we all walked out, he tossed it back into the kitchen. Well, come to find out he didn't want the divorce. So he was scaring his ex-wife to the point where she decided she didn't want the divorce. Um, I can tell you that night that uh, the parents asked us to leave and told the young man to stay. I'm not sure what happened, but I'm pretty sure there was a divorce happening after that night. So that was one of the situations where we were able to go in and explain everything. Now, I'll tell you some instances where you can't explain anything. And that's at the Capitol Theater in Salt Lake City. Um, they've done some shows on that, some paranormal shows, deputies um, having things happen to them. Um, I mean, there was one deputy when you're at the very top where they where they run everything from the booth and you look down across the stage and, I mean, we're talking a good 70 yards at least. And to get from that spot down to the stage takes about 10 minutes to walk it to make his rounds and he used to fly paper airplanes there just to see if he could reach the stage and one night he was throwing them and he did his rounds and as he came across the stage a paper airplane hit him in the side of the head he called in and told him he'd sit outside the rest of the night he wasn't going to stay in there and uh, he was done as far as he was concerned <coughs> excuse me um doing any kind of patrol on the inside of the capitol theater it scared him that bad We've caught in voices there. We've had things happen to us there. Uh, Doug was the manager of the time. Uh, Doug has since passed away, but he had given the ghost a name. He named it George. Now, there was a fire there, and a young man's life was lost in this fire way back in the, in the days when the Capitol Theater was fairly new. And unfortunately, like I said, there was a fire, and he lost his life. Now, whether that person's name was George or not, but they feel like that could be the ghost there. But out of respect to Doug, we would always say good evening, George. And we would, we would say good night to George as we were leaving. Um, one night we were there with my friend's wife, um, and downstairs, there's like three levels. You have the main level where you walk in and, and this is where the theater and everything is downstairs. You have where the actors or the, uh, or the, the folks that were doing plays or whatever, 
would all go downstairs and they had dressing rooms and they had rooms for the orchestra and such. And it was in a rectangle shape. And at each end of the hallway, they would store things, whether it be crates for the show, um, chairs, which happened to be this night. There was a bunch of chairs at the end. And in the middle of the hallway is a soda machine. And my friend's wife was trying to buy us all a soda and she was putting her money in and the machine kept spitting it out. And this went on for about two or three minutes and she got mad and she just yelled out, Jesus Christ, George, all I want is a soda. And the machine spits out three sodas. And we heard a noise and we turned around and there were three chairs lined up in the hallway. Now there were no one around us. There was nobody down there with us. Uh, we radioed where the sheriff's deputy was. He told us he was up on the top floor where Ballet West was making his rounds. So there was absolutely no one else in the Capitol Theater with us. So we, we couldn't explain this. Kind of made the hair on our arms stand up that night, but it happened. Uh, another instance is um, we were saying goodnight to George one night, and we captured a voice on the tape. Um, this voice was actually used in the movie White Noise. Um, it is a voice of a woman that says, get out, get out of my house. Just like that. Freaked us out. Matter of fact, still puts a little hair raising on my arms when I even think about it. Um, but this was one of the things we couldn't explain. Um, we had the AP with us one night. Um, they were doing a story. She definitely did not want to be there. Um, you could tell her husband did not want to be there. But we were sitting there talking, and I had a tape going, um, a digital recorder. And she had told me the only way she would believe in anything is if she heard it herself or something to that effect. Well, I had stopped the tape, and I rolled it back toward the end, and I played it. And as she's saying, she would only believe if she heard something herself. And, and I, I will swear on my parents' graves, this is the honest God's truth, a voice came on and went, get out. She turned as wide as a ghost, told her husband, it is time for them to leave. She looked back at me and said, I will email you my story. Please don't ever ask me to come back here. She goes, I will not come back. I will not do anything else with you guys. And her and her husband got the hell out of there. In one sense, it was kind of funny. In another, it, it scared the hell out of her. Um, some other instances of things with, with, with the paranormal and stuff. Uh, as I told you in the introductory episode, I was in the Coast Guard. And I was stationed on Iwo Jima. As I was 18 years old when I hit the island. This is where World War II, a, a pivoting point. Um, this island was very... Uh, dear to the Americans and the Japanese. For the Americans, it was a jumping point. We could refuel, we could bomb Japan, we could invade Japan if that was what was going to happen. The Japanese didn't want us to have that island. And it was a jump for them too. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a place for them. Um, and they knew we were coming. They heavily fortified this island, two miles wide, four miles long. Just a series of caves in this island. It's just unbelievable. I mean, there were there are spots where they would roll out anti-aircraft guns and pull them back in, and you wouldn't be able to see them from the air. You had to walk the island or drive around the island to see these different things. I mean, they took a B-24 that crashed and made it into a bunker. It was crazy. But when you went in these caves, it was the blackest black. I mean, it, it was like a thick black. You 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 could not see a hint, a hint of light, nothing. I mean, 
it was like almost you were in this different zone. I, I don't know how to explain it. You would have to be there to understand just how dark this was. Um, the feeling you got in these caves, though, was very weird. It was like you're always being watched. Like you, you would go around a corner and you would just stop and turn around with your flashlight because you swore that there was somebody there. You would hear things in these caves, just different things. Now, could they be rats? Because we had rats on the islands. Yes. Um, we had a few dogs and the dogs used to go with us. Yes. Some of these noises accounted for were dogs, maybe rats, but not all of them. Uh, we had a room um, in the barracks there and our barracks was on one breaker. So if the lights went out, everything went out. Uh, if the breaker popped, everything went out in our barracks. We had one room that the lights would flicker or they would just go off and then come back on. And our electricians checked it out. They checked the wiring. They changed switches. They checked the lights. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the electrical in this room. But this one room, for some reason, always had a flickering light or the light would come on and off. I mean, it got to the point that whoever was staying in there when we were at capacity, they just lived with it and really didn't care anymore. Freaked them at first, but that was all that was going on. But we would have things move. Um just hear noises. Uh, the island was very creepy, very creepy. I mean, you're looking at over 40,000 men killed on this small plot of land um, and buried there as well um, until the Marines were moved back to the mainland and such. Um, so Iwo was not only a battleground, but it was a graveyard for a period of time. Um, so many, many things happening there. And these are some of the experiences that I was having and, and brought me to even wanting to do more in the paranormal. And I've gained a plethora of, of equipment um, that I use now that I help people out with. And what I'd like to say is from anyone out there that if you're having experiences or, or you want to tell me about your experiences, email me, let me know. If you think you need help, reach out to me. Um, I will not use your name. If you don't want your story told, it won't be told. Um, but we're here to help you on these things. Uh, uh, I know that the paranormal can be very, very scary. Um, there are so many shows out there that try to, to convince you of different things. But I'm here to tell you that if we can figure it out for you, we will. If we can't explain it, we'll be honest with you. And whatever we capture or don't capture, you will form your own opinion. But we will try to help you in any way we can with these. So please um, get a hold of me on that and let me know if you need that help. And again, are they out there? The number one at gmail.com. So those are some of my stories that have led me to where I am. I hope you've enjoyed these stories and we'll have more as we go along. I'm waiting for the weather to clear up here in Utah so we can head out to Skinwalker Ranch and Blind Frog Ranch. Uh, we just had one of the biggest snowstorms we've ever had. This late in the season, I was hoping that it was starting to clear up, but again, we're still having snow. So until that clears up, I am not going down there because it'll be too cold. It'll be hard to get the trailer in and, and such. So when we do get that all cleared up uh, with the weather, we'll be going down there. And again, I'm looking forward to Stuart joining us um, in his pod, parts with the podcast. Uh, I'll be traveling up to Washington uh, where he lives. 
Uh, hopefully, maybe getting out into the forest a little bit, see if we can capture any noises, anything out there, um, and experience some of the things that, that he's experienced and wants to look into as well. Um, like I said, I'm very excited. Uh, uh, Stuart's a fellow veteran. Um, excited to have him. He served in the Army. Um, and, you know, I got to hand it to him. Uh, he's a young man. And, you know, going through some of the things he went through is incredible uh, out there. Uh, and, uh, he, he's got some good, he's got some good stories and he's got some great experiences. And, you know, I want to, I want to give a shout out to, um, the, the people he served with and, and, and Sachi served with the, uh, 10th mountain division, first 32nd infantry reconnaissance platoon. Um, that's some ballsy people right there. I mean, I wouldn't want to fuck with them and, uh, I'm glad he's on my team. So, uh, Stuart, we're going to welcome you. Can't wait to have you on the air with us here on these podcasts. And I can't wait to give you the update from Jeff Meldrum. Hopefully I'll have that here in about two to three weeks and uh, look forward to more podcasts. And uh, remember everybody, just uh, keep your eyes and ears open and, and think, are they out there? <laughs>